today's reading is Acts chapter 2, verse 42, to chapter 3, verse 10. That's page 1094 of the Church Bibles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I was just briefly out there with, um, with the juniors uh, for fee, and they decided it would be quite entertaining if I left my radio mic on, um, and you could have all heard the juniors session uh, in here. In fact, I said they could have preached the sermon from in there, but um, we decided not. Um, do keep that passage open in front of you. Uh, we're going to have a little look at the end of chapter 2, uh, beginning of chapter 3, as we continue uh, our little series that we've been walking through this term uh, on the, the work and the presence of God's Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence. Let's pray together as we come to God's Word. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you that uh, you have given it as a gift to us, and that in your Word and through your Word we meet with you and we hear you speak to us. And as we uh, listen to and think about these events of so many hundreds, in fact thousands of years ago, uh, we pray that we would know you uh, at work in us, that you would grow our faith, you would grow our understanding, and most of all, that you would grow our love and relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My suspicion is that if you were to do a, uh, a sort of survey of friends and family and about whether they pray, that even the least habitual, the least focused prayers, even those who would feel like their relationship with God is distant, uh, uh, maybe even at best a bit stiff or formal, that you would find that there is one time when most people pray, or at least there is a time where if anybody's ever going to pray, 
that's it. And it is the time when we're sick. Or the time when somebody that we know and love is sick. And I suspect that that's simply because prayer, at its most sort of basic, at its essence, is an expression of helplessness. So when you think about it, when we pray for something, we're asking for something. So we know with children, um, they will ask us for stuff because they're going, I can't do it myself. Um, And there are times as they grow up that you're thinking, well, in fact, sometimes saying to them, you just needed to ask. You know, if you wanted to bake a cake, you say to the four-year-old, it would have been really good to ask rather than getting everything out of the cupboard and starting to mix it all together in the bowl when I was upstairs. Um, You know, sometimes there are times when they really ought to ask. But prayer effectively feels most of all like an expression of need, of helplessness. Now, sometimes that's why we don't pray. Sometimes that's what holds us back from praying, because at our core, especially as adults, we want that feeling of, well, I'm okay. I don't need help. I don't need anybody alongside me. I don't need to keep, you know, asking for stuff. But there are those moments in life, and it is especially true when either we or somebody else is sick, where actually we do cry out to the God we hope might be there and express that helplessness, express that need. But what are we to make of both what we read here, this moment of healing as Peter and John uh, are going up to the temple at the time of prayer and they heal uh, the, the guy who can't walk and he gets up and he's leaping around and praising God. What are we to make of this gift of the Holy Spirit that's uh, talked about elsewhere in the New Testament, this gift of healing. Uh, What are we to make of the fact that in this sort of description of the very earliest church in these few days and weeks straight after the day of Pentecost, just a matter of weeks after Jesus had gone back to be with his Father in heaven, what are we to make of the fact that in the midst of that description that we heard at the beginning of the reading, signs and wonders, miraculous signs, are described in a completely matter-of-fact way. Listen to it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Actually, if those words weren't quite so familiar to us, it ought to make us go, huh? You know, the, the bits either side of it feel okay. You know, uh, that's great. They're, they're all together and they're, they're breaking bread together. So they're having communion, what we would call communion. They're listening to the, the apostles teach and they're praying for one another. They're caring for one another. They're making sure nobody is without food and without shelter. Oh, and in the middle of it all, there are miraculous signs and wonders done in the power of the Holy Spirit. You think, okay, this feels quite odd. I ought to say a couple of things just by way of a brief introduction to what we're going to look at here. The first is that actually, I've often said to people that preaching on healing in one's own church is perhaps the hardest place to ever do it. Because I look at out, out a sea of faces, and actually as vicar, I'm privileged to walk alongside most people at one point or another. Um, and I know that I'm not talking to a room full of completely well, never been sick, not currently sick, people. Actually, amongst us all, we've all experienced in our own lives or those that we love, sometimes of deep trauma and of tragedy and of difficulty. And actually, there are a good number of us here who right today are walking through exactly that. So, I I hope and pray that I can 
walk through this subject of healing appropriately and helpfully and encouragingly. Um, but we need to care for one another as we talk about the possibilities of what happens when we pray. Because we need to recognize that alongside ourselves, uh, there will be people who have prayed their hearts out for healing and not seen it happen. And that's the other thing I want to say, that actually we need to set this in the context of the real lived experience of Christians down through 2,000 years who have at times experienced astonishing miracles of healing, and I've seen them happen, I've experienced them happen, but also have experienced those times when heaven seems firmly shut. How are we to deal with that lived experience? How are we to deal with our own experience? How are we to find a walking through this experience of the Holy Spirit that is neither on the one hand, and I'll explain what I mean at the moment, that is neither on the one hand pagan nor effectively atheist? Now, let me explain a little bit of what I mean. There's an awful lot of Christian praying for healing that is pretty much what uh, uh, scholars of religion would call pagan. Now, in pagan religions, and I don't just mean today, but going down through thousands of years, in the pagan religions, uh, religion is all about finding the right words and the right actions in order to pull the levers of power and make something happen. So the, the essence of pagan religion is to say there is a power force out there. We, it might not have a name or it might have a name, but basically the way in which I can manipulate it, the way in which I can make it do what I want it to do, and that might be to make the crops grow, it might be to bring healing, it might be to bring fertility, whatever it is, is, is if I pray the right way, using the right actions and making the right sacrifices and maybe getting enough people together and maybe getting a, you know, a witch doctor involved or whatever it is, then it will happen. It's quite mechanistic, actually. It's a bit like um, uh, you know, sitting in one of those things where there's sort of levers to pull on a huge crane. I'm thinking, well, if I do this, right, that goes up and down, that, that works around. Like, you know, you're working out how to sort of manipulate it. Now, actually, at a gut sort of level, we know that prayer shouldn't be like that. Prayer in the Christian faith is relationship. This is conversation with God, our Heavenly Father. But just as a warning before we pile into this, actually, an awful lot of Christian praying for healing can be quite pagan. Because we sit in there thinking, right, I really want this to happen. So if I really want this to happen, I've got to be in the right state of mind and heart myself. I've got to get the right words, the right formula. Maybe I need to get enough people around me doing it in the right context enough times. And then, uh, 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 here we go. God's going to answer. And the flip side is, we also start to think that if God doesn't do what we want him to do, what we're desperate for him to do, that actually somehow we, therefore, have got something wrong. It's a hugely mechanistic approach to prayer, as if there is a lever to pull, you have to pull it exactly the right way, then God will answer, great, and if God isn't answering, I must have got it wrong. Can I just really nail that one? That's paganism, it's not Christianity. The Christian faith says prayer is relationship conversation with God. We're not out to manipulate God. We're not primarily out to persuade God. We're in conversation with God, our Heavenly Father, who loves us and the people that we love actually even more than we love ourselves. He doesn't need persuading. He doesn't need strong-arming. Actually, it's conversation. So that's the first thing. We're not to be pagans in the way we do it, nor are we to be effectively atheists in the way we do it. There's an awful lot today in our culture and society that does at least recognize, and this is, I think, a good thing, that human beings are more than just the molecules we stand up in. 
Um, I used to do a lot of schools work uh, once upon a time. And one of the assemblers I loved doing in secondary schools was to go in and stand at the front in the secondary school with a big uh, McDonald's uh, bag. Um, in fact, on one infamous and stupid occasion, I, rather than just taking an empty bag, I'd actually bought a big McDonald's on the way. And not only was it, did it smell, but as I walked into the head teacher's study at the end, um, the bag broke, and a very large Diet Coke and ice spread itself liberally on the floor with you know, a couple of hamburger patties and all the contents. Um, but that wasn't the reason I particularly rec remember this. Uh, um, I, I used to say, this bag cost about £10. It was sort of McDonald's for two with bits. Did you know that that's roughly how much you're worth? It was sort of long pause, people looking a bit... I said, well, actually, at a gut level, we know we're worth more than that. And if you were taken hostage, and the hostage takers rang up and said, uh, yeah, we've taken Richard hostage. Yeah, we want some money. Oh, how much? £10.32. You know, I'd be the hostage sitting there going, really, are you, are you kidding me? You could at least ask for a reasonable amount of money. We know we're worth more. And yet £10.32 is roughly what the chemicals and minerals that make up your body are worth. If you could collect up all the chemicals and minerals that make your body, it's something between 10 and 15 pounds. Now, actually, it's a really good thing that in our culture today, we're recognizing that people are more than just machines, that there's more to us than simply mechanical processes. There's a lot of interest in, in mind and body and spirit and how we're whole people. Here's the problem, though. An awful lot for what passes for healing in that context is all about finding the healing within you. It basically is saying to us, yeah, you can be healed, you can be well, and it's more than just the mechanics of medicine, but you need to find your healing within you. And those of you who are here for a sermon I preached the other week, it's the, the, the healing equivalent of search for the hero inside yourself. But actually, again, the Bible says no. There are times when we need help. Prayer isn't about finding help, healing within me, on the one hand, nor is it about manipulating God, it is most of all about conversation with God, my Heavenly Father. So, having said all of that, I want to say I do believe that God answers prayer and loves us to pray. I do believe that there are times when God answers our prayer for healing through simply uh, the wonders and the care um, of, of medicine and of doctors and nurses and consultants. Um, and there are also times when God answers our prayer for healing in ways that we simply can't explain. And I've seen it happen. I've experienced it myself. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. How does that happen and why does it happen? Secondly, why doesn't it happen? And thirdly, how then should I pray? Okay? I want to answer those three questions via a slightly circuitous route via this passage. And I want to suggest that through what uh, Peter and John do and say in the context in which they say it, they can give us three little headlines that will help us. And the first headline is to say that when healing comes, however it comes, healing, the healing that God brings comes by the Holy Spirit because and through and in the power of Jesus Christ. Uh, listen to what Peter and John say. Uh, they're walking uh, into the temple courts. Uh, there's somebody who's begging there. Now, don't forget, this is a different context from any sort of begging we might experience, so whatever your thoughts of that are, uh, this is a context with no social services, uh, no help for those who are rough sleepers, no help for the, anybody who was uh, disabled or, or finding it hard to get work in any way. This was somebody who literally, the only way they could have 
any means of eating and being was handouts. And so uh, Peter and John are walking past this guy, and he's begging uh, for money, and uh, they stop, and there's a moment where Peter says, look at us. Now, I don't know whether what they were saying was, look at us. We don't have any money. Are you mad? Uh, Peter and John weren't rich. I mean, it's quite possible that that's what they were saying. But in that moment of being looked at, in that relationship, Peter knew that there was more that he could give. And in verse uh, 6, it says, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. And what he doesn't say is, I heal you. What he says instead is, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And more than that, when this has happened and people are complaining because he does it on a Sabbath when he shouldn't be healing people and people are, are horrified that this is going on, when he's having to explain what's happened from verse 11 onwards after the reading that we had, um, all that Peter wants to talk about is Jesus. If you read on from verse 11 onwards, everything is about Jesus. He wants to tell them about Jesus' life. He tells them about how Jesus died. He tells them most of all about Jesus' resurrection. And he says, because of Jesus, because he lived for you and died for you and rose for you, therefore this healing has come to this man. The healing from the Holy Spirit comes because of Jesus. And yet again, we just need to nail it. Christian healing is not about accessing some sort of weird force field out there. It's not Star Wars, okay? We're not accessing the force. We're talking to God, our Heavenly Father. This is personal. This is to do with Jesus. God come to be with us in his Son. Nor is it simply from within me. There's plenty that I can do for my own healing. I can stay fit. I can, I can eat healthily. I can... Uh, I can sort out my, uh, uh, you know, get some help for anxieties or uh, some assistance when I'm feeling low. Fantastic. But actually, the Bible says this sort of healing comes from God giving to us through his son, Jesus. This isn't a magic word he's saying. He's not going, ah, now, I'm going to heal you. And the magic words that I need to say are, in the name of Jesus Christ. He's saying because of Jesus, because he lived for you, because he died for you because he rose for you. In other words, this healing comes because of something Jesus has done, something Jesus has changed, something Jesus has made possible. And what you find, if you were to read the, the verses that come after the reading that we had, <coughs> excuse me, is that what Peter goes on to tell them is that in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he has changed the universe. He has changed the course of history. And most of all, what he has changed, he has changed where history is heading. Verse 19, if you don't mind just sort of uh, nipping down the page a little bit. It says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you. And then listen to this. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. Here's the key. If you want a key to put in the lock that unpicks the whole of how we understand healing, of how we pray for healing, of how we understand healing, it's this one little sentence. That because Jesus lived for us that perfect life, we couldn't live for ourselves. 
because as Jesus died for us, that death that now we don't have to face alone, because Jesus rose the first fruits from amongst the dead, we can now know for certain that what he's done is to promise for us a, restore, a restoration of everything. And why is that important? Well, let me put it bluntly. If I'm sick and I get healed, one day I've still got to die. So it's one of the, the odd backdrops to the story of Lazarus. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And you think, great. And I have to say, there's a bit of me that feels really sorry for Lazarus. I, I'm sorry if this sounds a little bit facetious, but I actually mean this genuinely. Lazarus is dead. He's with God. He's brought back to life. And you know what he's got to do all over again at some point? He's going to have to die. Now, I'm, I, I, there's a sort of facetious side to that, and I'm sorry if that, that's a, I don't feel a bit awkward joking about death, but actually, we, we have to address it face to face. Lazarus still was going to have to die. All that healing did and all that healing does is put off that moment. The point with Christian healing is that it isn't just about putting off an evil moment. It's a taste of what's to come. You see, because Jesus rose from the dead, there is a restoration of all things that is coming. Lazarus' resurrection was a foretaste of what he could look forward to, the resurrection of the dead. This man's healing from being uh, uh, paralyzed was a taste of the life of the world to come where everything's restored. It's the difference, if you like, between the cruelty of giving somebody who is starving a little taste of food and then saying, but that's all you're getting and you're now just going to starve, or giving them a taste of some food and saying, hang on, the full meal's coming. Your tummy's going to be filled. Your mouth will be uh, uh, sort of refreshed. You will never be hungry again. Do you see the difference? Christian healing is not really an end in itself. And it's certainly not a temporary fix. Christian healing is a taste of the life of the world to come. The restoration of all things. And don't we long for that? You know, when you and I weep because a friend of ours has died, when you and I have our hearts broken because our child is sick or a friend is in trouble, for that matter, when we are heartbroken over the ending of a relationship or a disaster or trauma in a family, all those times that our hearts are just broken because the world is not as it's meant to be, the Christian faith to us say, the Christian faith says to us, don't settle just for a bit of a temporary fix, for an elastoplast, for something that gets you through a few more days. What God offers is a promise of full restoration in the life of the world to come. And if you're not sure what that looks like, flip right to the end of the Bible, the very last chapter of the whole Bible, Revelation 23, where there's a, a, a poem, beautiful picture, a painting, painted of the unpaintable, a poetry, poetry written about the indescribable. And what they're trying to get at is, here's what we look forward to. When all things are, to use Peter's language, fully restored. When there's no more sickness, no more death, no more dying, no more loneliness, no more brokenheartedness, no more longing, no more aloneness from God. And when God brings healing, actually in all the way God brings healing, whether it's taking a couple of paracetamol and feeling better or whether it's actually feeling that you have been miraculously healed of something that you cannot explain, whatever it is, we're getting a taste 
of what Jesus has won for us on the cross over the life of the world to come. So as Christians, when we pray for healing, we have to be really careful that we don't get hung up on just trying to make a thing happen. happen. As if the most important thing on God's agenda that could possibly happen for this person or for me is just getting better. Actually, what we want more than anything else is for them or for us to be eyeball to eyeball with the God that knows us and who loves us and is for us. And for them or for us to have a taste of the life of the world to come because that's what's promised. That's what will last. That's what will take us through this life, through even death, to the life of the world to come. This man who could now walk, he knew when he thought about it that night, probably going back to his whatever, wherever it was he lived, he, he would have known his problems weren't over. He was still going to have to get a job. He might still get sick. There was no NHS. There was no social services. He was still going to have to find some money from somewhere. He was still going to have to persuade his friends that he hadn't spent the previous 30 years pretending to be paralyzed. I mean, how do you, I, how do you even begin to explain that? But actually what he'd met was far more important than just that he'd got the use of his legs back. It was that he had met the restoration of God that pointed him to the life of the world to come. We see that in uh, Jesus uh, in in, uh, Mark chapter 5 meeting the woman who's been bleeding for years and she gets healed but he still stops because he wants to eyeball her. She wants relationship with her. He, He wants her to know where that healing has come from wasn't enough just to make her better. What was even more important was for her to be in relationship with him. And so, to answer those three questions ever so quickly, um, how does it happen? Well, healing happens because God is the God who made us in the first place and who will one day remake us. Healing for God is not out of the ordinary or that difficult. The one who made us can remake us. The one who will one day restore us fully can do some of that now. But why doesn't it all happen now? Well, because we're not there yet. God hasn't remade all things. God hasn't yet restored the universe. We long for that day. We work for that day. We look for that day when Jesus will return, draw a line under history and put all things right. What we have now is a taste of it. We taste it in prayer when we're just have that sense of God's presence. We taste it in, sometimes in worship together or in friendship together. We taste it in the loving relationships in our families and with our friends. And yeah, we taste it through the ministrations of doctors and nurses and of the, the wonders of modern science and medicine. And yes, we taste a little taste of it sometimes in that gift of miraculous healing. So how do we pray? Well, when I pray for healing, I always start with Jesus because it's all about him. I simply pray. Jesus, thank you that you lived and died and rose again. Thank you that one day you're going to give to this person full restoration. They will be made completely well. And then I ask God by his Holy Spirit to come and bring a taste of the life of the world to come. That's the Spirit's job. That's what he does. He brings a taste of what is to come. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, bring your healing. Bring what is already ours in the life of the world to come and make it ours now. And then we wait, and we ask God to do what God does. And we pray that both by God's presence, by his spirit, and by him answering the prayers of our hearts, we will taste a little bit more each day of that life of the world to come, and that we will look forward to it with faith and with hope. And for those of us who walk through 
dark valleys who long for God to answer that prayer. And this is where I want to finish. What the Bible says is that we are to go on asking. We are to be absolutely open and honest and raw in our praying. We're to be with God how we would be with the perfect parent, not holding back, telling God our longing. And we're to trust God that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is always for us. And he loves us. Many people are able to give testimony, both to the power of prayer and miraculous healing, and also to those times where that gift of prayer brings to us God's presence, his friendship, his courage, his strength, even walking through the dark valleys, even when God doesn't do everything that we long that he will do.